Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Dream Reality New Earth Radio, reminding you that the choice is yours. I'm Dr. Dream with my co-host Ilya Nabatovsky, and now on with the show. everyone. Welcome to Dream Reality New Earth Radio. I am indeed Dr. Dream and my co-host is Mr. Yes, I am Peter. Yes, and it is such an honor you know, I, to be with you once again. I, I had to question. There was that uncomfortable pause there for a moment. Uh, and I thought maybe that you're you are actually not there, but it's it's good to have you there, brother. And um, we have we have an exciting broadcast tonight. I should explain that um, as is turning into the usual case, I am I am out of the country and thousands of miles away. Yes, and where are you exactly? I am in Costa Rica right now at the Love Campus of the New Earth Center of Light, and um, I—I I mean, it would—it would take a whole broadcast to explain what I have been going through here in the most magical aspects of my universe unfolding, um, and so maybe that'll be uh, for a future show, but. All things are good, and uh, I understand, Ilya, that, that you just returned from a, a bit of an adventure. Yes, I literally have just got back from Joshua Tree about 10 minutes ago, and it has been such an adventure that I, too, can spend countless hours talking about it. <laughs> Can't wait to get back to uh, the Dream Studio tomorrow night, so we uh, can sometimes do that. Uh, they are truly amazing times right now, and just uh, in- incredible. I um, I had the opportunity this weekend to uh, do uh, two different group activations, galactivations, and uh, a couple of private sessions uh, here in Costa Rica. And uh, who? Talking about it, my my whole body begins to to vibrate with that that universal love that that we call in, and um, like I say, it's just incredibly exciting times. Absolutely, and the the more time that passes by, the the further and the deeper we're able to tap into that frequency of universal love, and it just keeps getting better and better and better. High and deep, high and deep. I just, um, I love it. It's, uh, it's my motto. So higher, let's go deeper. <laughs> and this, yes, brother. This really leads us into um, tonight's guest. 
who has an incredible history. I mean, um I've been I've been hearing about uh, our guest this evening for for several months now. Um popped up on on my radar through a mutual friend uh Raul Rosales. Um, wow, I, I, I but um this this gentleman is accomplished and has really I mean there's I don't even know where to start. Those of you that have read the bio realize that, that it reads like a um like a short story, a short and yet amazing uh story and so what I'd like to do is to just go ahead and and introduce our guest and and maybe ask um ask him to to go ahead and give us some highlights in a life that that, that appears to be one you know highlight after another so it is our distinct honor and pleasure this evening to introduce Jagadish and uh, welcome to the show tonight thank you so we have we have described my show as East Midwest Divine Love Trans a conversation with an American sadhu. And um I I just want you to give us some uh you know, not the complete history of everything because I I think that'll just sort of unfold as we have our conversation, but uh, uh not to explain uh, at least the American sadhu and and you know some of the rich richness the tapestry of, of your life has brought you to us. Okay, very good, thank you. Um, first of all, just for everyone listening in, I welcome you with all my heart and want to say just one thing before we begin any of this is that. Due to our own individual uh, depth of sincerity for spiritual illumination and transformation, we can really um, pierce through um, as much of the elusive things that come up in this same uh, spectrum or radar. There are so many different trends in the world now that are leading a little bit more towards um, ego-centered or nihilistic uh, spirituality. And the best way to break through things like that is just going deep within in all sincerity and humility, not low self-esteem, but true humility, to uh, pray for uh, the highest truth and greatest enlightenment, those kinds of things. So, um, so thank you so much for that. Um, what I'd say just first off is that in my life, um, since it started so young, I had a immersion into the liberated state of being when I was just around four years old. So that kind of experience is just a... Um, uh, sort of awakening call of bringing back everything I've worked for in past lives, so to speak. And so just continuing from there. And so that's what I did. I continued from there. 
thirsty for all kinds of mystical knowledge and experience, of course, as well. So, so give me give me an idea. I mean, um, you were born in the United States. Mm-hmm. In uh, actually in West LA. In born in West LA, and and how did the beginning of all this unfold for you? I mean, normally, I remember people that have been born in um, in Los Angeles, and uh, their story doesn't get anywhere near mirroring your story. Yeah, well, that's what I think is I think it's life, a lot of past life intensity that brings me. Because after four years old, and I remember the experience vividly, um, by the time I was in fifth grade, I had become vegetarian and already was involved in studying mystic Christianity, Buddhism, and native traditions. Um, so that was something coming from just the inner core of me, um, like anyone who can tap into their direction in life. Not everyone can. Uh, at an early age, but that's I was fortunate it happened with me. I love it. So, I mean, give me a little background on, like, your parents. Were, are, are we talking just normal parents, like maybe mine yeah. were, if there is such a thing? Yeah, well, <laughs> normal parents, but very good-hearted parents. Um, my dad was always friendly and helpful and, you know, dedicated in his way to family and family values and things, and um, and progressive at the same time. And my mother is someone who is so deeply spiritual inside, with such a compassionate nature that I've seen come out at different times that just you know wows me, so to speak. And so, <laughs> so I mean, let me ask: Were they vegetarians also? Uh, no, they were not. Well, actually, my father has been vegetarian at diff- many different times in his life. And um, and my mother, here and there, but not specifically. Okay. Did it, did it seem strange to them, you know, how you were developing as a youngster? Yeah, a, a little bit. And um, I think that, of course... Very soon, I got very intense in my practice, um, where I took a vow of silence for quite a long time, and I my hair was matted and down to my below my back. Um, and during this time, I attended a family function. I came down from Northern California to attend a family function, and my mother was very freaked out by all of this, as one can imagine. (laughs) Um, But what happened was, as long as I can explain to her, and in this case, I had to just write a few sentences on my chalkboard to explain what I was doing, and within a few minutes, her perplexity and fear turned into very deep understanding and uh, appreciation. I, I love it. And so, you know, you started all this. I, I'm, I'm just fascinated. I mean, I, I moved into my um, really opening up to what my path was about, um, you know, toward the end of high school. So mm-hmm. I'm wondering, what I mean, what was it like for you at, at, at 10 o'clock, you, at 10 o'clock, at 10 years old, uh, you were already 
you know, really moved into um, a lot of uh, realization or at least, you know, a way of being. Um, what's right, what's right. that like at the age, you know, going to school today? Well, for me, it was just natural. Um, and so I had a few friends that started to imbibe this. I had a brother also that was very interested and looked up to me to some degree in this matter. And so for me, it was life that was going on inside of me. And I didn't notice or care too much of what other people were doing necessarily. If it didn't hold my interest, then it didn't concern me too much. So, um, but I continued my studies. I was really good at that. That was easy for me. Now, did you take it upon yourself? I mean, as I as I look at your at your history, and in in high school, you began five to ten hours of committed daily practice um, under advanced teachers. Yeah. Um, in yoga Actually, and Tibetan Buddhism. Yeah. I mean, how did you did you seek that out yourself, or were your parents supporting oh, yeah. you in that, or did no, was no. it just the synchronistic aspect no. of life happening? No, this not synchronistic and not my parents. It was all self-directed and self-motivated. Um, in uh, while I was still in junior high school, uh, friends of mine that were in high school had a regular yoga class going, and uh, we. I think actually I participated in starting that, but I was still in junior high, so I went and I attended these functions, and then when I got to high school, I continued with those and. Eventually, the teacher made me a teacher. He had me starting, uh, took over and taught the classes as well, in and that was in high school. But during that early part of high school, uh, late part of junior high and early part of high school, I I really just did the uh, yoga practice with pranayama and meditation, just maybe three times a week. I didn't really understand it was a daily practice until the last year of high school. That's where I had enough units um, that the last half year of high school, I didn't have to attend any classes whatsoever. (laughs) So I basically moved to Santa Cruz during that time. Oh, I hope no one gets into trouble. (laughs) 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 But... uh, I went to Santa Cruz where I studied with Baba Haridas, a very great, great yogi, very realized yogi, accomplished yogi, and Lama Yeshe, which is, he would be considered a siddha in the Tibetan Buddhist tradition. I studied with both of them, and that's where I started doing my five hours and more each day. So it was still part of high school in a way, but the last the last half a year. And so... Tell me uh, what happened when you were 19. Um, well, I guess it was around 19. It could have been around 18. Eight, from 18 to 20 was um, this whole process of this whole thing. But I had been studying very deep. I was doing probably closer to 10 hours a day of practice. And I had moved right after high school. I moved directly, you know, completely uh, to Santa Cruz area. Um like I, in the sense where I had my own place at that time before I was living at other places, uh, other people's places while I was up there. 
of other practitioners, and I rented a room there. And I was incorporating everything I studied with Baba Haridas and some stuff from Tibetan Buddhism, but I was incorporating all kinds of other things, things that I was inspired from Ram Krishna Paramahansa and other great saints and siddhas of India. And I started doing incorporating um, different things um, into my practice, and I started feeling a little bit sad that I thought no one else in the world was practicing this unique combination of practices. Until one day, someone arrived, an American person arrived from India to settle in Santa Cruz and started giving classes at the local uh, bookstore. So I attended those classes, and uh, this person revealed a whole tradition that existed, a very, what I'd call a secretive tradition, because they don't, um, you know, they're involved in their own practice. They're not involved in other people joining their practice. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, they don't proselytize or anything like that. And so I found out about it, and I, in a way, was like glued to this person. I, I was so thirsty for everything, and he started translating a lot of the scriptural content, which the scriptural content and traditions, besides following, whether it's uh, different texts, you know, scriptural texts, whatever the ones they choose, but it's the commentaries of the saints and the siddhas from the realization of all of this that write a lot of commentaries and and the life stories of the saints and luminaries. I started translating all of that to me, Sanskrit and the Bengali language. And he, I started teaching myself Bengali language. He gave me these self-teaching books. He taught me how to live as a sadhu. Um, there's very few foreigners who go to India um, who actually learn what it is to live by the codes and rules um, of the sadhus. It's There's a lot of stuff to learn with cleanliness, with etiquette, um, with ways to how you survive there, um, including health, health items and all kinds of stuff. And when you are initiated in a tradition and you live as a sadhu with great holy people who are fully perfected and accomplished saints um, then you you are on the inside of everything um, there's very few people who have actually put the years in to do that so, or have the connection to do that. Um, but anyhow, get, getting back to the question, then um, <laughs> what I what I, what I want to ask at this point is, I mean, give us um, a little bit more about what it means to be a sadhu. Oh, okay, great. Okay, we'll go right into that. Um, sadhu means uh, honesty. Um, when you live as a sadhu in any tradition, it's the depth of honesty that you have, complete honesty about yourself. Uh, um, there's no um, there's no psychological content that's getting in the way of you being just clean and present and honest with yourself and others. 
That that's what it really means to be a sadhu. Other than that, it's a way of life of understanding that the world is not going to give you happiness you seek. It's going to give you temporary happiness, which is fine. It's the world is beautiful, especially the world of nature. And so it's not that we're renouncing nature, but we're renouncing the negative activities and egotistical activities engaging in finding, uh, acquiring fame and power, prestige, respect from others, those kinds of things, or wealth, uh, meaning exceeding wealth that you don't need yourself. Um, So that's what it means to be sadhu as well, Uh, to live a holy life. And the holy life turns out to be a life that's ecologically sound as well. Now, um, as I was researching you, I found, um, I mean, I found that you don't actually, on your sites or in any of your material, really give yourself a title. Um, And so I had to do a little more searching. And and someone else that you had done some uh, workshops with or something like that had referred to you as an American sadhu. Now, is it is it common to be an American sadhu? I mean, are there a lot in in the American culture? It doesn't seem like there would be specifically. Yeah, I don't think so. I um, it's hard to talk about this because I want to be very open minded about people. Um, but there's a lot of deception, actually, in the world about people's accomplishments or how they live their life and stuff. There's there's a bit too much of that. And there are many, many Westerners who have gone to India and or other places, um, Nepal and such like that. And they think that they have lived a sadhu life because they go there and they, they dress like a sadhu and they tour around and meet people. Um, and that's a very, very different life. Um, I'll say one thing is that if you're a true sadhu, meaning a renunciate sadhu, in the sense that you no longer look towards worldly things for your enjoyment, whether that's titles or you know accomplishments in the world's view. But a like when I went to India, when I was still in my late teens. I went directly to my teacher that I had found through this man I met in Santa Cruz, and I lived with them. And the living with uh, siddhas and saints of my particular tradition and and others is shared, is we do 18 hours a day of spiritual practices and disciplines. And most of that is meditation, actually. Some of it is group a lot of group things that we do together in the form of kirtan. Are you familiar with kirtan? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So in the each day of our life, we do at least eight, maybe ten hours of meditation. We do six to seven hours of kirtan every single day. And we do certain uh, puja or worship practices and uh, prarthana or prayer practices. Um, the other thing is participating and serving others, uh, which is we do in certain ways. Um, 
because of such a heavy meditation schedule, that's done in different ways. Uh, um, so that's very different. And when we do our fasting, uh, we do a fasting uh, regularity uh, in the sense that two to four days each month, certain lunar days come around where we do fasting. And when we observe fasting, because of my my own spiritual master's attainment level, he wanted to train us to become siddhas as well. So I'm actually, as as um, uh, what am I saying? As uh, as far away as I'm am from it, I'm still am an aspiring siddha. But the fasting, then we did fasting, 36 hour fasting two to four days a month without intake of food or water. The other thing we fasted from for those 36 hours is also from sleep. So all through the night, we did uh, certain practices during those times. So let me ask you, here you are in the United States. I take it you live in the, you live in the Los Angeles area? Right now I do because I'm caring for my parents. Um, I have land in Hawaii that I was building, going to start building into an ashram or retreat center for people to come and do intensive practice. But my father came down with cancer and I was needed here. So I've been here, this is uh, after three years. Um, This is going on the fourth year maybe. I treated my uh, my father through cancer and he passed away. Then I stayed on for my mother uh, through her grief, and it turns out that she needs me to stay full on due to uh, age-related ailments and and conditions. So, so what is it like to? I mean, it, it feels like you have one foot in in one world and one foot in another. You know what 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 what's that like for you to 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 balance that? Okay. In, I'll tell you a little history with that because it's a great question. In the beginning, when anyone goes and sees a holy person and they go for satsang, which is um, kind of hanging out with a great illuminated saint and talking about uh, truth and spiritual topics and whatnot. And so that's satsang. And whenever I was in satsang with Baba Haridas, we, we regularly met two days a week and stuff. There's always this spiritual high you get when we are with a real saint and then there's a low that you get when you go away from that company and as you live your life and continue your practice those ups and downs become less and less and you gravitate towards a steadiness Um, so likewise going back and forth from India spending so many years in retreat and coming back here in the beginning it was a little bit um not not disturbing really, but just a change, a, an undesirable change in a certain way, um, but just a change. Um, but after, I think the main thing is when you reach a level where you persevere and pierce kind of a, I don't know what to call this, um, you take your somersault into infinity and you become liberated through that process, 
when you become liberated, and what I mean by this is you punch through uh, all the levels of delusion and unreality until you realize your true nature, your true nature of pure spiritual being, and that's shared with the God nature, then you're you're liberated um, at that point. Um, I have to temper this with that many people have the temporary type of peek into the liberated state, but don't reach the permanent liberated state. And then one has to really keep working at it. I mean, in whatever way people do. There's so many different traditions and ways of doing this. But after reaching into the permanent liberated state of being, which other people told me was as they questioned me about my own state, when that happens, you see liberated being everywhere you are. Um, everywhere. Every every person, every place, everything. It becomes sacred to you in a certain way that you see liberated being there. You see the diffused, unified field of God everywhere. Wow, you just made me speechless. Just tapping into where you're uh, coming from. Go ahead, Elia. Ask something uh, real quick here. Um, If if you can elaborate on what what you mean when you talk about this um, unified field of God, um, just to give a, a little bit of a different perspective on that for our listeners. Okay. Um, it's it's as if, um, first of all, for people, uh, the listeners, because sometimes I forget there's people listening to this, is that for all the people listening, um, becoming liberated or realizing the liberated state of being, there's no doubts or confusions involved with whether that has been attained or not. That's one clear thing. Because when one when that happens to one, the mind is blown. Your mind uh, entering into that state of being, and if it's especially on the, that permanent level, it blows your mind to such a degree that you are, from then on, experiencing inconceivable content, so to speak. You're experiencing life in an inconceivable state of being. Um, So looking at all the material things around me, especially for the first, you know, um, five to ten years of being, you know, liberated being or liberated state of being, everything has a glisten to it. After a while, you know, Five or ten years after that, things start turning back to normal in a certain sense. But um, I noticed that at least um, many things uh, uh, were dramatically present for definitely seven years after having such an experience. And then as I think time goes on, it gets so integrated into your being that it's not as noticeably different. I, I hope that makes sense. Yeah. Um, when, when you say everything has a glisten to it, um, are you uh, referring to it literally having uh, like an aura of some sort, or is it just a um, feeling, a state yeah, of being? Yeah, no. 
it's interesting. It, to me, it's not an aura, because an aura is something around an object. To me, when I see the glistening, it's a glistening of the thing itself. So it's a different, very different state of looking or seeing. Um, the other thing that was very interesting is everyone I met after that time, this happened to me in February of 1991. And for the first many years, I'd, I'd say almost six or seven years, um, everyone I looked at, I thought, wow, this person's enlightened. Every single person. Um, the only thing that made me shake my head a little bit was that when people would talk to me, I was wondering why they were talking that way. One one thing that's a corollary a corollary to this, I think, is um, in Carlos Castaneda's book. There's a book where Journey to Ixland, where they talk about attaining or something. Um, some kind of sh very intense shift in their consciousness um, where he fights with the ally and lands somewhere and after that he's searching for a home that doesn't exist anymore for I think it was Don Gennaro it was Ixland and he was trying to find Ixland and everyone he met on the road was telling him a different story or something like that so it's a similarity to that in the sense that after attaining the liberated state um, everything changes, everything shifts as much as everything's the same as well but people talking to me it was like they were talking some language I, I didn't understand because I was in a state of being in the li liberated state so. and how did you come to terms with that? Well, I think after so many years, I just began to settle in and integrate the experience into the relative reality that exists. In other words, um, as a spiritual practitioner, we try to we excuse me we live in the world without being of the world. In the liberated state, that's accomplished naturally. It's it's happening you you are in the world because you're still in a physical body so you're living in a relative world of, of eating food or or not going to the bathroom you know that's all relative level and and you one should be aware that they're doing such things in that same way after years of this phenomena going on over and over again uh, seeing people and and holding and seeing that they're liberated being and then them talking to me about their sufferings and, and whatnot. After a while, you start accepting it. And then you start understanding, okay, yeah, relative worlds still exist. Um, and and then you just work with it from then on. I had a healing practice going on um, during that time. Uh, and and here, here in the, the States? Yeah, here in the States. And I had uh, a lot of clients and celebrity clients and different kinds of clients and they would come to me after that state after that happened to me I I didn't see anything that they needed healing for and so I actually 
stopped my practice. It was didn't make any sense to me. Um, it it lingered for a few months with some of the diehard clients, but pretty much after a few months, I dissolved my whole practice for quite a number of years. And so this was just you coming to terms with how all this was playing out within you and outside of you then? Uh, yeah, but for me, I was in a, a inconceivable state of, of joy and um, illumination. So for me, and like any person who's trained in these things, um, the important thing to do is to be very humble about all this and to continue actually to increase one's meditation practice. Um, it, there's many traditions that talk about how one needs a certain preparation for this and that afterwards when the gross ego ego sorry excuse me <laughs> the gross ego is annihilated during liberated state um about 99% of your personal suffering is also eliminated at that point um and but there's self subtle ego so there are some people out there who don't know they might not have a teacher uh to to kind of uh, guide them one can enter into a liberated state and the subtle ego can be right there infiltrating into the whole state and then one goes out and be, becomes a teacher or this or that when the implication or the incent uh, I don't know the term here but the thing to do if one reaches that state is really to go incognito for 10, 12, 15 years and do deep, deep meditation so that the subtle ego does not infiltrate and turn your life into a, a ego party kind of thing. Um, so that's traditional. That's traditional with even people like Ramana Maharshi, which some of the audience may know about him. When he attained his enlightened state, you know, realization, uh, just using words here, he just did that. He went to a holy mountain and he devoted his life to uh, deep meditation for many, many years before anyone, before he talked to anybody. Um, so what we're looking at for the quality of this, we're looking at a quality of a human being that becomes transfigured into a saint or eventually a siddha if, if that's what happens for the person and being transfigured into something, a, a person who's no longer human except for their level of compassion and love. You know, mm, that kind yes. of thing. It remains very, oh. very human. And everything else is trans, it's transfigured. It's transcended into uh, something um, just illuminated. So... You mentioned that um, w once a person becomes liberated um, and uh, the subtle ego comes in, and you mentioned that it it's, it takes 10 to 15 years in isolation to remove that. Is there any, um, um, other, any other perspective way? around that? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, of course there are. Um, I'm talking about idealistically, and I don't mean you need to go into seclusion. I didn't go into seclusion myself. But I, I've certainly spent 
you know, this is um, <laughs> whether I should mention this or not. It doesn't matter to me. But this is the first interview I've ever done in my life, as far as exposure to the world. <laughs> even even oh. though I've <laughs> even though I've had a private uh, spiritual healing practice, I have a degree in transpersonal psychology, and with the work I do, it, it's so advanced. It's you know on such a causal level and powerful level that I converted it into sessions and, and whatnot. Um, and uh, let's see, where am I going with this? Um, this is the first time I'm coming out uh, into the world, so to speak, to to um, help with people understanding that there are um, other traditions that haven't been introduced to the West yet, that are available for people if they're interested, that there are levels of enlightenment that go beyond what most people know. In my tradition, we reach a level of enlightenment. Um, uh, we reach levels beyond enlightenment that you go to intermediary realms to develop after your physical body goes. Do you, do you know, understand what I mean? Yes. Yeah. But so, he, explain it a little bit. Um, that, can you repeat the original question once for me? Um, I, I asked. Yes. Um, you, you mentioned that when you when the person becomes liberated or enlightened, the subtle ego has an opportunity to come in, and you um, mentioned that I remember. it can take yeah. like ten to fifteen years in isolation to remove that. Yeah, and I so remember. Thank you. Other I'm sorry about that. Okay, I want to address that a little bit, um, so we don't lose, so I don't lose that. Um, it's not necessary to be in seclusion, like I said, but it is necessary to not teach. I think that's the most important thing. People who go out there and want to put a shingle up, and there's all kinds of ways to pay people money and and then claim that you're a great spiritual healer or you can do transmission or what have you and that's not the way to if you want to be genuinely spiritually realized um, don't go out into the marketplace if you want to do that because the subtle ego remember it's not the gross ego anymore it's the subtle ego and some people who are sincere um, really deeply sincere for the highest truth that kind of sincerity might eventually pull them out of such ego states. But if you don't have that, if you don't rely on your own sincerity and humility, then you can actually lose yourself for several lifetimes in uh, an expanded, subtle ego state where you think you're spiritually realized and you're helping, you know, hundreds or thousands of people when, in fact, um, you might be helping people as stepping stones to further truth, or sometimes you hinder people because the teachings are all saturated with subtle ego. Um, that's a type of discernment that is not so prevalent in the West, but it's starting to. People are starting to say, hey, wait, you know, uh, we want something really deeply genuine uh, and true, you know. So it is good. Uh, you can do it without isolation, but you really have to 
humble yourself and go deeply into the subtle things that will arise in you from that point. Subtle desires for fame or this or that, attention, being pat on the back and stuff. Now, let me ask, are you, so as far as the subtle ego goes, I mean, this is interesting for me. Are you, are you dealing with any of that now? Is this something you've, you've gotten past? Um, or is it sort of an ongoing um, awareness of, of what is possibly showing up? Yeah, I would agree. It's, um, it's an ongoing awareness of a type. I'll say one thing is that as long as we're in a human body, my teachers have explained, and I really can understand and see this now, is there's always a thread of ego just to maintain a human body. If there's no ego whatsoever, then then one, the soul or the spirit does not inhabit a human body. So there's always a little bit of ego going on, but it's nothing that you that you... It's great to be aware of, and like I say, for so many years, you really want to be aware of, and you want to dig out and burn up the residual content that's still there in the in what we can call it as subtle ego. Um, and then after a while, it's, um, I don't know, it's, uh, like I said, a little bit of maintenance, you might say. Mm-hmm. You know, there's always growth. Like in my tradition, of course, there's always growth because in my tradition, you can attain the highest uh, uh, perfection of realization and still there's you go to intermediary realms in a spiritual body, a spiritual substance body, to increase in your realization. And when I talk about realization, my tradition is a divine love tradition. So we're we're not only want to realize the illuminated fullness of emptiness, but we want to realize divine love. We want to realize a divine love that comes from God, not from our own realized state. Hmm. Can you expand on that? Yeah. Um the human, uh, not the human being, but um, are are you, either of you familiar with Sanskrit terms? Um, Atman? Yes. Okay, great. Yeah. So, Satchit Ananda? I mean, just kind of, it, it, <laughs> it's not been my emphasis, but um, yeah. those terms actually, a few days have come up for me. But we've got a number of listeners and people that are listening to this, so so explain as much as you can so so anyone yeah. can follow you. Yeah, so everyone can be included. Um, the Atman is what would be termed the spirit. Everyone is a spiritual being in a human body experiencing the world. You know, you've heard those kinds of things. Um, so the Atman is pure spirit. And it's made of a, sub, a spiritual substance, if you will, called Sat-Chit-Ananda, which is not really a substance, but um, it is, Sat means truth or existence, Chit is consciousness, and Ananda is bliss. So we are Sat-Chit-Ananda-Atman. We are eternally existing, blissful, 
spirit. And that's inherent in us because that's who exactly we are. That's our sacred identity. So when we break through the dirt or the clouds or the veils of illusion, etc., whatever way different traditions talk about all this, that surround the spirit, then we can our consciousness can again realize who we are directly, our spirit. It's the soul which is made up of our karmic content, our patterns, our um, likes and dislikes, our personalities, all of that stuff, is the soul that covers the spirit. So when one becomes realized, one has cleaned off enough of that dirt or broken apart the chunks of stuff that that cover that, and we either, like I say, get a glimpse into that enlightened state of being, which is our own true uh, sacred identity, or we uh, have knocked off, you know, huge chunks in order to establish that sacred identity. Um, but the Atman is, in scriptures, it's talked about as being Anu. Anu is a Sanskrit term that means very, very small. And this is also what realized, I mean, the scriptures of India come from the direct um, enlightened experience of the sages and, and rishis. So even though some of them are slightly different from each other because there's different views one can have, but they're pretty Einstein views. And one one uh, scripture talks about the Atman being, if you take a, the end of your hair, a tip of your hair, one of your hairs, and you divide it into 10,000 pieces, <laughs> then you have the what the size of the Atman is our own sacred identity, which is filled with uh, bliss and consciousness. And when we talk about God, and not all traditions talk about God, Buddhism, Jainism, and uh, some of the other traditions, um, they don't talk about God. They're, they're, more, uh, they're very spiritual traditions, and they lean a little bit sometimes on the humanitarian side because there's no concern with God. But for those who reach out and attain levels of God realization or, or interaction with God directly, then um, my tradition has experienced that there's the other levels of attainment is when you come into interaction with God. And when you do that, God can give part of his own uh, divine love um, his own, or I mean, you know, his, her, it, I don't want to. Um, but God can infuse the individual being. Um, let me say that one more time because it's so important. Is our sac- Realizing our sacred identity as Satchitananda Atman is such a powerful, beautiful, wonderful experience. It's inconceivable joy and relief of suffering. And that's just a small taste of what actually the being can go to if they want to, but that's interaction with God. 
So what's inherent for us is the realization of self and the realization of God in the unified aspect of God, which is also Satchitananda. It's the same substance, uh, eternal bliss and consciousness. Um, but in my tradition, we we claim to have gone some steps further in the sense that God can infuse us with his own divine love energy, which is a whole other level of experience. Hmm. And I'm only here saying that because I've actually have been starting to uh, taste that experience. Um, if you caught me, if you wanted to interview me a few years ago, like two years ago, maybe three probably, um, maybe four, but <laughs> I couldn't be saying what I'm saying right now because I hadn't attained this further level. Um, it sounds weird, <laughs> but nonetheless, there's this uh, incredible reality to it. It sounds amazing. I I want to back up just a little bit because the the time frame is uh, interesting to me with all of this. Um, your your father was um, uh, had cancer for several years. Um, no, he came down with it somewhat fast. Um, I've, I have two fathers, so we're talking about one of them. Um, he had cancer on the skin where they had uh, melanoma cancer on the skin that they had taken out through surgery. But what they didn't know was it went deeper into his body. And when that showed up, I, I since my uh, parents are elderly anyway, I used to come and spend at least one weekend or one week a month caring for them, the house, and everything like that for a few years before anything happened to my dad. Mm -hmm. um, so I was in contact, except for sometimes. If I'm in India, of course, it's going to be a year I'm gone, or in Hawaii, I'm gone six months at a time or something. But but uh, either way, uh, other than that, I, I was here every month. But... Um, when when he went through can when he came down with the cancer internally that's when it was something to really be concerned about so he went through chemotherapy which didn't have much success and he was very resistant to me doing any uh, kind of healing work or taking the advice of alternative why was uh, that procedures it was just a hang up with him i saw it in his face he He's been told by so many people to do so many different things that after so many years, he just got tired of it. And he went into a state of no one knows what they're talking about. And how uh, did that feel for you, knowing what you know and having accomplished, I believe from your story, you know, so much with so many other people, yeah. um, assisting them in healing themselves? How did that feel then watching your father go through this? Oh, well, it's hard when anyone that you love goes through a lot of pain and suffering. But for me, I just dove into total service, loving service for my dad. I I treated his wounds. He had cancerous wounds on his body. I treated those, and I fed him the medication, his food, all these different things. So it was total loving service. Um, 
especially when the chemo failed, we started the radiation treatments. And after a while, he was in so much pain, he gave up on that. So we did hospice at home. I never, we never took him to a hospital. We weren't into that kind of thing for him. What was his, um, and I'm not holding back from asking any questions, and I feel intuitively that um, that this is is fine for me to be asking this. Um, it's very good. Good. Uh, what was his uh, his transition like, or the moments leading up to it? Oh. And, and okay. Yeah, I'll talk to you about it. By the way, Mark, uh, I, I mean, uh, Dr. Dream, I'm not sure exactly uh, what everyone calls you, your friends call you and stuff, but um, it's you're being very intuitive. You're completely intuitive. This is a very beautiful thing to bring up. Um, he uh, he was a sheriff, and he served in the Marines and things like that, and he was very a very special person in many ways. He also played music. Uh, piano and sang and stuff. But he was very special in the sense that his own suffering, he kept inside. So he didn't lament and, you know what I'm saying? He accepted mm-hmm. the situation, which was so beautiful right just there. But what what happened towards the end, uh, me and my mother attended to him, uh, most, you know, as much as my mother had the strength to, but my mother hung, hung out with him for hours and hours through the night, um, reminiscing about things and just really loving stuff. And I treated him mostly during the the day and evening and early night. Um, But anyway, what happened was right around 10 days before he passed, he started doing Indian chants, Native American Indian chants. And even before that, for about the last few months of his life, he was half in the other world and half in this world. So that was maybe three months, four months before he actually passed. He was in both worlds, but ten days before he passed, he his ancestors had come because he's in the Mescalero Apache family. So he's part, you know, part-blooded um, uh, Apache. And he was chanting. He was doing this chant. He was raising his hand like you see Native Americans doing. And it was obvious his ancestors were there going through ceremony for his passing. Um, the, and then the last moment, what happened was about a week before, we had a scare. We thought he was going to die any minute, actually. And he said, you know, he loved us both. We, he was, uh, we were both in his heart and all those things. And And what amazing thing happened is he knew that in the morning... We were there at a certain time, usually. And what happened was he waited through the whole night to be with us for his last breath, you know, his last so many minutes of life. And we were a little bit later that morning than normal. So he hung on to life just to be there for the very end. And that was an incredible statement of strength and integrity and compassion uh and you know family togetherness so oh, that's beautiful i really um <clears throat> really appreciate you sharing this now you are um in your early 50s uh-huh yeah 
And, you know, here you are, you're doing your first um, uh, internet radio interview with Dr. Dream and Ilya, and um, we have an event that um, I'm quite honored I get to actually meet you now in person a week from Thursday, and we'll talk about that um, in a little bit. But, um, you know, and you mentioned before how things are changing for you, obviously, at this point. What's it all about now? Um, for me, at least for the next five or ten years, I had a indirect uh, communication from my my teacher has passed away a long time ago, and he uh, made me empowered me as a lineage holder of the tradition, and I got an indication, kind of indirectly, um, to to do something to uh, to help participate in the upliftment of the world, so to speak. And so that's my decision in coming out um, publicly and trying to do my work on a much bigger scale than I ever have in the past. But it's also a time for me to increase my own meditation practice at the same time. So, And then I'm caring for my mother. So it's quite a lot, but... Um, that's the the phase for me is to do everything I can in Southern California so I can still attend to my mother on a daily basis. But she says she wants me to be able to go away for a weekend at a time also. So at some point, if some connections are made or someone really wants to host me um, on the East Coast or, or in other places, then I'll also be available to go away for three or four days at a time to travel to another place if there's um, a big interest to bring me there. So so my life then now is dedicated completely to helping others in a very, very big way. Uh, you'll see at some point um, there'll be thousands of people coming to um, the transmission work um, and the other work um, so um, it's humbling for me uh, to do that. So. Now, you, you mentioned, you know, over the course of the next five or ten years, this is an interesting time right now, and uh, it's it's fascinating for me to hear you say five to ten years. So many in the circles uh, that I'm in, you know, are talking about the next couple of years, and then after that the the vision of of what reality of of dimensional existence and everything gets a little fuzzy for a lot of us um how does 2012 and the you know the Mayan prophecies and i mean just all that's swirling around in in the collective consciousness um where are you at with all of that in in my tradition we're basically only uh, motivated <clears throat> in becoming uh, lovers of God. And what I mean by that is directly interacting with God um, in an intimate fashion of friendship and love. And I know that there's different... Uh, I'm noticing that when I say they say, oh, yeah, I know what you mean, because I'm fe I'm feeling that, too. I, I do that as well. 
but I really want to stress that what I'm talking about is actually face-to-face interaction with God, something that is happens very, very rarely to an individual, um, let alone at some level of, of yogic advancement, one can be interacting with God on a daily basis. And I mean directly. I don't mean feeling God or feeling the presence of God. I mean being with God directly as we're talking now. That kind. It's a it's a exhilarating experience that goes beyond anything um, most of us experience uh, in our lives. Um. So now to get back, <laughs> try to get back to the question. <laughs> okay. So, <laughs> Wait a sec. I'm now. All right. Well, go ahead because yeah, I'll so, come back to to what you just said because yeah. you're. This is good. So, but go ahead. Yeah. Yeah, try to make a note if you can. I need to make notes. <laughs> but um, to get back to that, then we're as compassionate as a great sitter or saint becomes to others. We are in my tradition, especially is is all geared towards. Advancing our our spiritual path um, so that we can transfer to that pure spiritual realm and interact with God uh, all the time for eternity. So that's that's not a small thing. It's a very very big thing. It's it's um, it's easy to attain enlightenment and be liberated, but it's something else to attain the original source God and go to that realm and live. And I don't mean it's nothing material. It's not a material or astral situation that I'm talking about. It's a totally transcendent um, uh, realm of being. Um, And there's a lot of ways to explain this, but I don't want to go too far. So, in other words, all these things that are going on in the world is if it helps one become more spiritual and helps one get more uh, focused in their life of what's true and eternal and give up the superficial things, then whatever people are saying about whatever year that comes around, I think it's fantastic. If it galvanizes people to meditate, to to serve others, to help others, uh, to become compassionate and kind... Um, then I, I think there should be every year some fantastic, <laughs> you know, something. Oh, that's a beautiful perspective. I mm. I love I love how you just uh, worded that. Now, um, I just you know it's a little off tangent, but um, you know, in the grand scheme of thing, nothing nothing really is off tangent. Um, What's your take on extraterrestrials? Oh, well, the first thing that comes to my mind is they say that Tibetan Buddhism kind of came about from an extraterrestrial. Uh, So, in other words, a being who came from another uh, realm. Um, So, I don't know, you know, um, it's scary on one hand um, from what I've heard about some of the extraterrestrials. I mean, it's like uh, human beings go to the Amazon and bulldoze all the, the forests down and kill all kinds of species of animals and insects and, and fruits and flowers. And for us not to understand that that can be done to us, 
by some other race, it could happen. I I have to um, ask you something. When you said just now that that you said it's scary, I thought, wait a sec. You, Jagadish, scared of anything? I mean, you are you. Your energy is so beautiful and loving and balanced that it just seemed in direct contrast to anything I thought of you. That anything would really scare you. Yeah. Now, all kinds of things scare me because if you look at how much suffering goes on, you know, it's horrible that uh, that a forest can be warped, uh, uh, ripped up or wiped out. That's what I meant, wiped out. Um, it, it's, it pains my heart to see uh, plants or animals killed, you know, and it, so it's scary. It's very scary, and the human being isn't natural. Um, an animal dies gracefully, usually. I mean, you know, pigs might squeal and stuff like that, but uh, human beings really squeal. Not all, not all, you know, but it's a horrible tragedy, and whenever there's a tragedy, it's, it's, it's frightening men's inhumanity to man, or species, you know, if there are extraterrestrials that are bad boys, you know, that are evil or bad people, uh, I'm sorry, people, but um, then then that's, uh, um, it's frightening, so. <laughs> is, it, is it possible for anyone to transition before their time? I mean, is, I, I, I sort of hold a foundation belief that, that there's a divine perfection in, in how everything is playing out. Mm-hmm. You want to speak mm-hmm. to that? Um, which one? Divine perfection or going before one's time? They're both tied in, whichever one or both. Okay. Um, uh, going before one's time or even after one's time. Um, there's a a person in my tradition that might not have been even a siddha, but just saint, a saint. Um he was overshadowed by death for a number of days where he can actually see and feel death. And he kept up his meditation practice. In my tradition, we most of our meditation is on the holy name of God. And I know there's other traditions, like the Sikh tradition is also very firmly based on the holy name of God, as well as some Christian mystic traditions. Judaism also has a very deep uh, name of God tradition, um, but because um, so there was a siddha there. It, it happens to be my guru's guru was a great siddha. Um, he was there, and he uh, they lived in the same little village, and they were known to each other. So he asked him a little bit about it, and my param guru, my great guru, uh, saw that death was there, and he said that it was his very intense meditation on the holy name that kept death at bay. And these are like real real life stories of, of people and how profound their practice, their firm established practices that they do each day uh, can keep one here on the earth longer. And why one would be on the earth longer is because we have a precious birth of a human body. Um if you understand how precious it is, 
then we would really be doing all we can to help others, to to be kind to ourselves and compassionate, and to work on this transfiguration into divine spiritualized being. Even our physical body can be spiritualized. Um, then the longer we're here, the more time we have to do that. And and then we pass away when we pass away. But the opposite could happen. We can attain such a spiritual state of being that we really want to uh, go on. And and some yogis are able to leave qu- uh, quit or leave the body uh, by their own will. Mm. Um in my tradition, we don't do that. Same with Tibetan Buddhism. Um, I'm, my tradition is somewhat similar to their tradition in, in quite a number of ways. And the preciousness of the human birth is, is one of those. Okay. I, I appreciate uh, appreciate your perspective on this. And um, it didn't rock my foundation too much, so I appreciate that too. <laughs> yeah. Did I answer both? Um what was the other? Was, oh, divine perfection. Um, divine perfection, you know, or like free will. It, this is close to free will question. I like what His Holiness the Dalai Lama said once, is that um, sometimes you're just in the wrong... Uh, well, let me preface this. Is It's really according to our karma, our previous karma, whether it's this life karma or past life karmas or both, that dictate what happens to us in our lives. It's through prayer prayer and meditation practice that we can burn up these karmas or by the help of our spiritual master who has the power to burn up karma or a spiritual healer if they're truly genuine. Um, so that can those things can happen, but His Holiness said that sometimes... We're in the wrong place at the wrong time, and we might suffer death or or harm without it being a consequence of our karma. Mm. And I thought that was very interesting what he said. Um, like I say, I'm only interested in attaining um, direct interaction with God on a daily basis as a loving, intimate friend and or lover, etc., those kinds of things and um, helping others as I can. Those are my only interests in life, as far as I can say right now. Hmm. Beautiful. <sighs> you know, there there has been aspects of this, this interview um, that does uh, challenge um, my belief systems, and for that I am uh, most uh, grateful. Now, we're going to do something um, a little special tonight. We're, we're not normally a call-in kind of show, and so, um, but uh, so we had talked about maybe doing some some sacred energy healing. But we're we're now down to about 14 minutes left in the show, um, and and you had um, offered to take us through a, a process of uh, divine love transmission. Yeah, we can do that. What actually? If you want to, we can do something for the next maybe seven or eight minutes. Okay. And what I'd like to do is I'll do a sacred energy healing, and then I'll do the transmission of divine light or divine love, as as we call it. 
Um, for everyone listening here, um, and and I'll try to uh, uh, do that all within uh, actually probably five minutes. <laughs> You're good. We'll, we'll do that. I mean, you know, it's it's nicer coming in person to to things like this. Um, and if people go to my website, they can see the events uh, page and and see what I'm doing where and stuff. But um, so we can do that. Yeah, let's let's go ahead and do that because we'll want just a, a few minutes at the end to kind of close out and talk about what you and I are going to be at together this um, next week. So go ahead and um, and, and let's let's do this. Okay, I got a phone call, so I just put it off. Okay, okay, very good. So all the listening people, um, and including uh, both the hosts. Um, what we'll do is just relax and like uh, Dr. Dream is already doing, take a few deep breaths. Breathing is such a wonderful, wonderful tool for calming yourself, for getting through upsets and difficulties of all kinds. If you sit and take two or three deep breaths, you will have a real change in your mood and, and uh, content of your mind. Take a few deep breaths and get comfortable. And then for for those of you who want to, go ahead and close your eyes. It helps focus your attention. And then what I want you to do is just take a minute to be aware of your thoughts. And then take a minute to be aware of your feelings and emotions or any emotions that have come up the last few days. And then as you finish up with that, be aware of your physical body. Scan your physical body, just noticing where there's any um, discomfort or any issues you might have. And then as you finish up with that, let go of all of that and dive deep into your heart center. And from in the heart center, make a very deep sincere uh, or intention, whatever you're comfortable with, for a profound healing and a profound uh, shift into spiritual illumination. And so right now, I'm going to do sacred energy healing on everyone I can access so that the divine love transmission, divine light transmission can go deeper for you and also see whatever healing effects you'll have also. Part of spiritual healing is pulling out negative, stagnant energies from the body, 
the psychophysical field, the mind, body, and soul. And then bringing in pure sacred spiritual energy into those places. Okay, so I hope everyone felt that. And now we'll go into the divine light or divine love transmission. So with this, it's as if you're going on a holy, uh, we call Tirtha, um, a holy trip, or what do the Christians call it? Um, Pilgrimage. A pilgrimage, exactly. Thank you so much. Um, So with that in mind, that you're taking this pilgrimage, that you're suffering through whatever it is to get to this radio station, to tune into uh, Dr. Dream's radio program. Whatever you took in the last few days to get here, and you've arrived here. We just had some sacred energy healing, and now you're here because you want to get closer to whatever you want to call it, God, uh, Buddha nature, our own high self, divine uh, illumination, spiritual illumination. And even if we we have attained the greatest things, um, there's so much uniqueness in the world, we can always attain more, especially from um, what I hope is a very genuine source. So with that in mind, in the deep uh, prayer in the heart, then I will start right now with this transmission. I still need to do some sacred energy healing, so let me finish this. And now the divine light, divine love transmission. come on back and what's really nice about the work is that I don't know if there's a few people who might be able to share a little bit of they experience something it really helps uh, to hear uh, some of the experiences that people have 
Um, well, I'm right here, <laughs> and so, um, wow, um, no mistake uh, for me to be having this experience with you uh, based on what my experience has been in the last um, four or five days here in Costa Rica, and, and I literally felt um, uh, something that I've... Um, I'm even having trouble putting it into words. Something I've not quite felt before, and it was um, like, like really, like the literal expansion of my heart space. Um, I've experienced lots of different energy, and I just I didn't know what I, I had no preconceived idea of what this would be like, um, and we hadn't spoken that that this was going to be part of of um, the broadcast tonight, so I didn't have days or anything to think about this. Um, and um, it it just mm-hmm. felt like, a, I'll probably be able to explain it better later, but like a literal expansion of my heart space. Yeah. Um, some of the people will cognize things in a few hours or the next day. And those who don't feel or see or know things that happen right away, you look at the results in your life, how things will shift for you, your attitude, your circumstances, things like that, you know, your mood and stuff. Well, I have to, um, I don't have to, I I'm, uh, wish to share with you um, tremendous gratitude for uh for your i mean it goes so much beyond you being a, a guest on our broadcast but certainly for that but but for your presence here for all of us um and your your dedication uh to your truth um and we didn't even scratch the surface really of your story i i you know, um, it, it would take several shows, really, and and you have a nonprofit, and and the 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 dedication to um, uh, how you're putting your um, healing abilities um, out there, and and the people that you're helping. We di- we didn't even get to any of that. Um, um, I I trust that those that are listening to this live or at a at a later time. Um, are tapping into your heart of who you are as well as I am because um it is uh it's very touching and um I am uh quite looking forward to uh meeting you in person um on May 19th which is a week from uh Thursday night in Los Angeles our mutual friend uh Raul Rosillas has organized a global um, event called World Loves Japan. And um, I'll be there with uh, some co-facilitators. I call them my band of angels. And you will be there um, uh, sharing your energy and your light. Uh, This is uh, the one I'm speaking of is in Los Angeles. It's happening all over the world, locations all over the world. But we'll be in Los Angeles um, on May 19th, go to Facebook and, and in the search 
bar in Facebook, type in World Loves Japan, um, and you'll get the information, or go to my site, uh, touroflove.com, and there's a link there. Um, but uh, this is going to be a wonderful event, and uh, just... Um, I'm a little bit speechless, and anyone who knows me knows that doesn't really happen to me. I'm 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 uh, really touched to have had this experience with you, um, and your sharing, and your openness, and just and just your energy uh, uh, has been wonderful. Thank you so much. Yeah, um, I don't know whether um, the thing about this work is that if anyone has any. Um, something happened with them, they can call or email me um, in case I need to tweak something for someone. I don't and know how to do let, that. Let's give them uh, the spelling of your name. It's J-A-G-A-D-I-S-H, and that yeah. is... Um, uh, dot org. Dot org. Yeah, so Jagadish.org has the phone number and a communication system in there. So uh, anything that, you know, sometimes our negative stuff comes up and overwhelms us a little bit from a healing like this. I appreciate uh, you making yourself available for that. Um, I'll be headed back to Los Angeles tomorrow night. I get in. I'll be in Sedona uh, this next weekend. And then the next event is World Loves Japan. So um, let's, uh, anyone in Southern California, love to have you come out and support this effort and, and share energy and and focused intention. We know that that is uh, what changes everything. Ilya, any final words from you, my brother? Yes, I want to thank you, Jagadish, so much. And I, too, felt an amazing heart opening and um, a lot of clearing has been felt in addition to that. Um, and I felt I was able to connect more with hmm, who I really am and really uh, connect more with the authenticity of my true nature. And so I thank you for that and um, looking very forward to uh, speaking with you soon. Thank you so much. Great. Thank you. All right. That um, that pretty much uh, ends it for us here um, on Dream Reality New Earth Radio. Thank you so much. And um, I, have, I have quite a bit more to speak with you about, and um, I will be contacting you probably before we meet in person on the 19th. Thank you so much, and just uh, tremendous love and gratitude. And good night, everyone. Good night. Good night.